Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe podcast. Today we're continuing our coverage of the TV show Rebels as we talk about Season 1, Episodes 8 and 9, Empire Day and Gathering Forces. We'll also be talking about some recent news in Star Wars casting, including Hayden Christensen announced to officially be playing an important role in the Ahsoka TV show. All that and more after a commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. Joining me, as always so far, for the Rebels TV show are Sarah and Riki Hayashi. How are you both doing tonight? Hello. We are the Rebels. Ooh. Yes, yes. Re- Rebel scum. Rebel scum and proud. <laughs> That's probably not true. We're mildly rebellious. <laughs> I-, I have the Rebel Alliance tattoo, so I feel like I can qualify for that. Uh, I have a different <laughs> tattoo. <laughs> he's okay, got, a, he's okay. got a Darth Vader tattoo. Uh, you know, he he turns back at the end. Sorry, spoilers. But um, <laughs> yeah. Well, for for today we have something fun. Instead of doing two different episodes, it's kind of a it's a two episode arc, really. Uh, kind of like we used to get in Clone Wars. We'll get more of these as uh, Rebels goes on. But Sarah Ariki, can one of you read the uh, summaries of our two episodes? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so for Empire Day. Empire Day is the Galactic Empire celebrates Empire Day for the fifteenth anniversary of the Emperor's rise to power. The Rebels take advantage of this day and destroy an experimental new TIE fighter, leading to the Imperials to hunt for them once again. Sorry. Leading the Imperials to hunt for them once again. While on the run, they discover a Rodian technician named Sibo, who knows vital information about the Empire. And the fate of Ezra Bridger's parents. Bum, bum, bum. And for anyone who's wondering what a Rodian is, Rod- uh, Guido from the uh, original Star Wars movie, who did shoot, who did not shoot first... <laughs> Han shot first, but Greedo <gasps> is a Rodian. Han shot. shot. Then Greedo was too dead to shoot. Greedo was too dead In to the shoot. Original Greedo never gets a shot off. Exactly. Um, exactly. Hmm. All right, and and how do we finish up the arc? Oh my goodness! What I you know. left the long one for me. I sure did. Episode nine: Gathering Forces. Learning that Sibo failed to save his parents from being abducted by the Empire. Ezra lashes out at him for betraying his parents' trust. Dun, dun. Amidst the chase, the Imperials manage to attach a homing beacon to the hull of the Phantom, which Kanan opts to detach from the Ghost in hyperspace with himself and Ezra on board. They arrive at Fort Anaxes, where Kanan teaches Ezra to forgive Sibo by admitting his fear of not knowing what happened to his parents. The two face off against the arrival, arriving Imperial forces, but are cornered by the Inquisitor, who injures Kanan. Overcome with anger, Ezra uses the dark side of the Force to summon a giant Finoc against the Inquisitor, allowing himself and Kanan to escape. Back on the Ghost, the crew take Sibo to Fulcrum, and Hera offers to relay to Ezra what Sibo knows of his parents' fate. Yeah, so we get a, a great little story here. What'd you guys, what'd you guys uh, think? What's your overall thoughts on these episodes? A plus, super great. Um, I really like this arc a lot. I think we get like some fun character interactions, mm-hmm. um, and it just it feels very adventurous, very Star Warsy in in that sense. I don't like. I think I keep I keep saying this, and I don't quite know exactly what it means, but it it feels like. You know, action adventure, classic Star yeah. Wars. You know, yeah. I like that they continue to 
use things from Star Wars or f- even just mm. from this show, right? Right? Like, so the the Ford Anaxes is the asteroid where um, Sabine and Hera went, and then right. they they saw the creature. They fought against the creatures, the Finox, mm-hmm. which can o- which only like to be in the dark, right? So that was a couple of episodes or just the last episode the last arc and we're going back to it so it's like they're using their knowledge of oh hey there's this place that we can use to lure the imperials and right. and have these creatures fight against them and, and i like that when tv shows do that instead of just this thing happened and now we're just going to forget about it for the existence the rest of the existence of this show yeah and i i I like that they go back to it in a way that doesn't feel too dense like i feel like you could have just started watching from empire day and you might not know as much about the characters but like knowing that ford and axis has these finock on it is an integral knowledge it's just like nice that and sort of this like rich world building like ricky was talking about yeah i I think these two episodes are some of my favorites especially in the early season because they kind of they, they work on two levels. You know, on the one hand, like you said, if you don't know anything about Star Wars, you just ran, randomly watch these two episodes, it's a fun adventure story. You can get along with it, and there's some laughs and some chases and a lot of great fight scenes and tension. It's just a lot of fun. But I also feel like there's so much that happens in this episode in terms of building the story and building the characters. And honestly, for me, one of the most important ones, and kind of where I want to start our conversation, is just what we learn about the Empire. Because... You know, I the original movies are still my favorites. I love them with a passion. But they fall into one of the traps that I think often happens where you have people who are fighting on behalf of this great mass of oppressed people who we never meet. You know, we see the Empire blow up Alderaan. We see the Empire, you know, coming to this planet and doing terrible things. We never actually see what's happening on the worlds where the empires are oppressing people. We don't see people like slowly deciding they want to join the rebellion. And so I loved get like to me the whole Empire Day was so good in terms of, you know, I think it's very intentionally, it's this very sort of uber patriotic, you know, it's something out of like Maoist China or Trump America or like 1984 of like, you know, patriotism and rabble. And you have to, like, it's by law, the TV has to be on watching the Empire Day processions. And you get very clear that, like, a counter-protest at Empire Day is not going to be allowed. Mm -hmm. And seeing the people who aren't like, oh, yeah, let's go take up arms and fight, but are clearly unhappy about this and are sort of adjusting to it, and some of them not adjusting to it, I thought was just such a great way of of building more of that part of the world. Yeah, completely. And like you were saying about the sort of patriotism i think it's also like this real big show of military force like the parade Mm -hmm. is just a bunch of military craft right right there's no like happy like float of palpatine's head or anything like that in this parade it's just like walkers and yeah military parades are designed to intimidate Mm -hmm. And, and in our modern world it is often designed to intimidate other countries, right? Like, these are mm-hmm. our weapons. Uh, in this case, there aren't really other countries. Like, the Empire controls the known galaxy. So this is designed to intimidate the populace and say, right. if you have any thoughts of rebellion, this is what is waiting for you. Yeah, and and through Tsibo, we get this um, knowledge that 
the Empire has plans for these these planets on the Outer Rims, like detailed, elaborate plans for what's going to happen, why they've got such a installation on Lothal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, it feels a lot less random. Like you were saying, Matthew, you get a lot more invested other than just like, well, they blew up a planet, so clearly they're evil. You get to right. like, see a little more of the nitty gritty of it. And I believe uh, specifically it's mentioned that it's a five-year plan mm. for the Outer yeah. Rim. Which this whole TV show takes place five years before the Battle of Yavin. Uh, so that's very... You know, it, it's pointing towards what is going to happen when the Death Star is completed and these other weapons are completed. Because here, oh. specifically, they're rolling out the new, the advanced TIE Fighter, which is the one mm-hmm. that Darth Vader pilots in New Hope. Right. And it's so interesting, actually, that you that that's what you took from five year plan, because I, I didn't make that connection, because what I was thinking of is five year plan is a term that came to be very associated with like Stalinist Russia mm. and, and Maoist China and that kind of totalitarian government systems. Um, and so that's where I took it is very in line with the with the parade. So, yeah, it's great that it kind of works on both of those levels. Yeah. And like speaking of significant dates and, and, and timelines, I didn't get this on our first watch through but Riki pointed it out um so it's revealed that empire day is also ezra's birthday right and it's ezra's 15th birthday so ezra ezra was born on the day of like order 66 that like palpatine rose to power yeah Yeah. just just that fact like hearing her repeat that fact literally sent a chill up my spine (laughs) yeah because like how How amazing is that, that this main character is, like, that tied in, you know, by coincidence. But but in the Star Wars universe, often, you know, the Force works in mysterious ways. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I love it. And, and we'll get more into Ezra's story in a bit. But, you know, one thing we do learn is that Ezra's parents died because they were, you know, protesting the Empire. Supposedly. And yeah, died? Supposedly. Question mark, question mark? Yeah. You know, yeah. Died. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and obviously there, there's some big question marks there, but certainly they were protesting the Empire and something went wrong, mm-hmm. um, which is also nice because I, I do think sometimes when you watch the original movies, you don't get a sense of the scope of the rebellion. It's like this one farm boy and this one scoundrel and they meet up with some friends and they blow up the Death Stars. And this kind of reminder of like, it makes you wonder like on how many planets were there some people who refused to turn on the TV to watch the parade or didn't pay the taxes or, you know, maybe did a little sabotage themselves. And that over these 15 years, how many little small incidents of protest and of fighting the empire have happened that we just never know about, you know, because the empire controls all the media and the empire is able to not let those. To me, it kind of makes the rebel alliance that we'll get in a couple of years so much more important because it shows that like, yeah, there may have been these little like flickers and sparks of rebellion happening all over the galaxy, but they never knew about each other because the Empire just smashed them down. Yeah, and um, so you talk about the, especially this Hollow Knight being played. I think, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought it was not just like to show the parade, but like at all times, 24-7, the Hollow Knight had to be played at, yeah. at old Joe's Cantina. Which to me is a straight 1984 oh, reference. Oh, yeah. The, the like you can't turn the radio been. off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and just this idea, like you're saying, of him not playing it. Um, and he does seem to be quite sympathetic with like our our crew, you know. He um 
yeah, is it, showing this like small act of rebellion by turning the holonet off. And then when we get another uh, senator in exile, Gal Travis um, interruption mm-hmm. onto the holonet, you know, he, he comes back with his great line to one of the uh, troopers who is there. It's like, well, I have to leave this on at all times. It's the law. Sorry, can't turn this off. Right. So clearly he's against the empire and is rebelling, like you were saying, in these sort of subtle like small ways yeah mm-hmm. not even like all that subtle to mm. me because one of the things i noticed and there's we're looking at a picture of it right now his the outside of his uh tavern or whatever cantina cantina mm. is adorned with republic era like dropship parts like yeah. the nose of a republic era dropship oh. overhangs over his his entrance and so that to me feels like a very deliberate act right like the way that right. you know on the other side of the coin like in, in our modern era like confederate monuments and symbols are used like he is using this symbol to basically like give a middle finger to the empire <laughs> right and, and i do think there's a really interesting way he does it because and he's kind of a great symbol of the people who like that there's room in between the people who are rah-rah empire and the people who want to go jump in a starship to fight because, you know, the the troopers come in and they say, why isn't the hollow net broadcast on? And he says, well, no one asked for it. And then they tell him you have to turn it on. And he clearly doesn't love the idea, but he, he, he never argues. He never makes it a fight. He just does it. And then when the the hollow net gets cut into by the senator who's protesting and the trooper says, no, now you have to turn it off. He has great fun saying, well, I can't turn it off. It's yeah. the law. Yeah. You know, and, and to me, I think that's such an important – maybe I'm reading into it more than I, I need to just because I love sort of theories of different ideas of how people react to oppression. But I just felt like establishing that kind of character, the person who – doesn't like the Empire, is never going to fight back against it until, like, everyone around him does, but is going to do it, like you said, his little middle fingers. He's going to do as much as he can to get away with to not obey because he just isn't happy about it. This little little middle fingers. A plus Joe. Last thing I'll say about the Empire, and this is kind of a, a, a bit of a tangent, but I think it's worth getting into, I have recently been reading the Thrawn Ascendancy books, which are their canonical novels, unlike the original Thrawn books, uh, although those books are clearly very canon-influencing. These are canon, and they're about the rise of Admiral Thrawn, who uh, we've heard about a lot in other shows and I think is pretty well known is going to become an important character in this show later. Um, And in that book, he comes to know characters like Governor Price, who was mentioned in this episode. And so I just had a kind of fun moment of like, that book is kind of Governor Price's origin story, as well as a little bit of the minister as well. So just kind of a fun connection. And for those people who want to go even deeper into this world, the Thrawn Ascendancy books, Chaos Rising is the first one. It's a great novel for Star Wars, but it's also just a wonderful way of tying in with with the show we're watching right now. Is that written by Timothy Zahn? It is written by Timothy Zahn, yep. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> well it's just like oh, he is he created the character the Thrawn, Thrawn yeah. and yeah. has written the most novels about him yeah. yeah, I like um, he mentioned like Governor Price gets name checked in this but we don't see her because she's been personally invited to go hang with Palpatine on Empire mm-hmm. Day um, but yeah we do get to see we- Minister Tua and she's hanging out with Commandant Cumberlane Aresco who's like 
got the great cheekbones going on. He was in charge mm-hmm. of the academy. Oh, okay. Yep. Thanks. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Where um, Ezra infiltrated a couple episodes ago, or last episode. So I actually, like the Governor Price being on Coruscant, mm-hmm. I feel like that is just cover, and she's being chastised. Mm, sure. Like she's been invited there not to hang, but to get chewed out. Chewed out, yeah, that's fair. For, for what's been going on on Lothal. So I'm only mentioning this because the novels are canon, and it's certainly possible that that's what's happening this time. One of the things the novels set up is that she's the kind of absentee governor. She actually spends much more of her time on Coruscant than she does on Lothal, and that she kind of is really bitter when she has to spend more time on Lothal. Um, So yeah, but I think depending on how this show goes, it could kind of go either direction. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. One other cool thing about the Empire, I love that the pilot who's supposed to fly this new <laughs> TIE fighter is Baron Va- Baron Valen Rudor. And uh, if that name kind of rings bells for people, the Red Baron, the famous German fighter pilot of World War One, was Baron von Richthofen. Uh, Richthofen. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. But, like, to me, the fact that they're both Barons, that their names have a little bit of the same cadence of, like, the V and then the R... I don't think that's coincidence. I think they're trying to make a little bit of a reference, and I thought that was awesome. He, and he looks very Red Barony too, when yeah. he's standing there. Well, there was another, well, it's in Legends, but another Thai pilot was a Baron. So it's interesting. Oh, that's that, awesome. That I guess that is a title that they give to fighters. And, of course, it is like this callback to history, right? Right. Well, we know that like Count Dooku was an actual count of his planet Serrano. So I, I, I think it may be about pilots, but... I, the sense I got is that just a lot of people are nobility on their own little planets, even though they're mm. ruled by the emperor. You know, kind of like the way you could be like a, a <clears throat> nobility as part of a country that was part of the British Empire. And that, you know, in the same way that there's a tradition of like, you know, nobles going off to fight in honorable profession. So they're the cavalry, but mm. now they're fighter pilots. Yeah, that makes sense. That's cool. I do. I like that little nod as well. Yeah. I also like so, that. Um, ooh, go ahead. Oh, no, you finished your thought. Oh, I was just going to sort of move on and talk about the, the fireworks and the interaction between Tua and the Commandant. Okay, yeah, would you go right into that? Cool. Um, all right, yeah, I also like that Sabine gets to, once again, show off her explosives penchant, um, mm-hmm. this time using fireworks. Yeah. So I like that. So in order, how they destroy the, the TIE fighters, first, they light some fireworks <laughs> First, they light some fireworks in the sky. Um, they have Zeb throw up these charges, and they explode into fireworks. And <laughs> Minister Tua turns to the commandant. She's like, ooh, great job. Everyone's going to be really impressed that you organized this. And he's like, yep, I definitely did that. And instead of saying, like, wait, I didn't do this. Nobody organized this. Maybe something's afoot. He's just like, yeah, okay, I'll take credit for this. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, they end up sticking one of these firework explosives onto the TIE fighter and blowing it up as well. Um, and I think, like, I don't know, there may have been an attempt at, at, like, sneakery here in that, like, oh, well, fireworks just went off. Oops. But then it's, like, instantly clear. Like, no, it's those mm-hmm. rebels again. <clears throat> Let's get them. Let's find them. And they're also... Yeah, so the the... Imperial forces on Lothal are having, like, a real busy week. 
right? Because they're after <laughs> they're after Tsibo, they're preparing for Empire Day, and now they've got to try and hunt down Kane and Hera, Ezra, Sabine, Chopper, and Seb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really fun little dynamic, I think, that we get to see. And it's, it's fun seeing, there's kind of almost a heist movie aspect to mm-hmm. how, you know, they're not trying to steal something, trying to blow something up, but just seeing how the whole team comes together. Yeah, and Ezra sort of wants to take a break yeah. from the team. <laughs> um, he The episode opens with him and Kanan doing some Jedi training, which I noticed in your notes, you, you've got a bunch of question marks beside, and I do too. Um, <laughs> but he's like trying to like mentally connect with the loath cat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then is just like not in the mood. He hasn't revealed that like Empire Day is his birthday or anything like that yet. Right. And is just like I'm just I'm just gonna take the day, guys. And he ends up coming back when um, Kanan is planting the fireworks on the Tie Fighter, and it's like, Dad, what are you doing right. here? Oh, you're so patriotic. <laughs> and, Get away from the big tanks. And, and just to be clear, the line that I had question marks about is when Kanan says, "You have to be willing to attach to others," mm-hmm. which. Is not quite Jedi teaching as I know them, but we'll, we'll get to that. Let, let's first just talk about um, Ezra's backstory because we get so much of that in this episode. What 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 do you guys think of the what we learn about Ezra in this episode? Like like you said, he's born on Empire Day, and, and there's so much more that we learn. Well, he's been on his own for half his life, right? Since is, he was seven. Yeah. Yeah. So over half now. Yeah. And we learn that his parents were, as we mentioned earlier. Um, not necessarily rebels, but anti-imperial. Uh, they put out anti-imperial broadcasts, mm-hmm. and so they were they were gathered up for that. And then Sibo uh, was there and did not save them, and seems to. So it it sounds like Sibo was supposed to take care of Ezra, right. right? When his parents were captured, and then for whatever reason, what we learn later, he didn't. And that's why Ezra is, is mad at him. Right. Yeah. Well, well I, 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 I think it's part of that. But I think more Ezra's mad that because in his mind, like Zebo was their friend and Zebo should have like stopped them from doing what they were doing or should have like had or should have fought with them. You know, the fact that they're dead and yeah. he's alive. Mm-hmm. I think is a big you part didn't of die it. too. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Or you didn't you didn't fight with them and prevent them <clears throat> from dying. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he says, like, I'll never forgive you. And then a couple <laughs> hours later forgives him, which is mm-hmm. great. But, yeah. I really loved it as a scene for uh, Ezra, or a whole plot dynamic for Ezra. Because I feel like we learn so much about, you know, why is he really wrestling with the idea of going off and fighting for a noble cause? Because in his mind, his parents tried to fight the Empire and they died. And, like, you get a sense of why he is so cynical about the whole thing and why for him this all kind of feels hopeless and just how much he's been kind of seems like projecting all of his feelings of questioning and doubt and sadness about his parents' death onto this Zebo guy. And just the, the fact that in order to survive, he's had to be, he's had to like always look out for himself, put himself first. Um, and, and not, yeah, yeah. Not open himself up to these attachments. Like you were saying, probably out of mm-hmm. hurt, you know, he, he feels abandoned by his parents, but also like, he is, starting from seven years old, like a kid on the streets who's right. like, we, we compared him to Aladdin earlier. This like got to steal to eat situation where he, he just needed to look out for himself. And this idea of relying on others just seems like, I think a weakness, right? Like just opening yourself up to being betrayed and being abandoned. 
not just relying, but also helping others. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's part of part of the thing that has awoken in him while working with the specters. The specters is a good. Is watching them, and then now he cares about them. He cares about others. He wants to help other people. And this this is like the arc of his journey, at least for this in this season. Yeah, like, and even like he doesn't necessarily have to help Sibo. He just sees some uh, like Im- imperial folks. Like, have you seen this this guy holding up a photo of him? And Ezra just recognizes that as Sibo, and then kind of intuits that he he's gone back to his former house, which has a secret compartment in the basement which is where they used to do these broadcasts from and he's like i bet i know where he is i think he's going to be down there and so he goes and finds him there and yeah like he didn't he didn't have to go find Sibo at all mm-hmm. but he did which i think like what riki was saying being with this this crew has kind of made him more open to helping others <clears throat> even if he is quite bitter about it yeah i, I think that's really true and i like that I feel like it really moves his story along and obviously it sets up so much because like clearly we sort of have, you know, check offs Ezra's parents now. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to have to explore that story at some point. But I also find the story of Zebo really fascinating again in that that way of just if we're kind of discussing like all the different ways people react to oppression or attract to like being conquered, you know, that Zebo is the one who's like, let's just stay safe. You know, he didn't want Ezra's parents to go off and fight like this. He wanted Ezra's parents to be Ezra's parents. And, you know, I I remember a conversation I had uh, with my father a long time ago who decided not, he wanted to be an activist as as when he was a young lawyer, but decided not to be. And he and I have always disagreed on that. Like, cause, and one of his arguments though, was always like, you can't be an activist and raise a family. Hmm. Um, And I, I think he's wrong about that, but, but um, not not to get into all the the family dynamics (laughs) there, but like, I get what he was saying in terms of, you kind of have to ask yourself at one point, like, it, what is more important, raising your children in this difficult situation or fighting the difficult situation, even though that might mean your child loses their parents? And I just kind of love that, Z- like, where Zebo and they apparently stood on different sides of that question. Yeah. And then, I mean, Zebo seems to atone for it by, like, he joins up with the Empire and agrees to get this implant. Mm-hmm. Of some sort, and uses that to basically steal as much information as possible from the Empire. So much so that it's kind of messing with his brain a bit. Like, he's right. almost overloaded his brain. So he's sort of, he's not always lucid. Um, he's, he'll occasionally just, like, start spewing Empire secrets or, like, displaying schematics. And then he'll, like, sort of snap into lucidity and be able to, like, hold on to a conversation before he's kind of gone again wrapped up with Empire Secrets, which is why the Empire wants him back. Right. Yeah, he's got a cybernetic implant that is basically like Lobot from Empire Strikes Back. He was a Lando's assistant. Right. Yeah, and there's a great line that, again, just says so much about the, the Empire, where they say something like, you know, efficiency is sacrificed, personality is sacrificed in favor of efficiency. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is a couple of years old, but certainly there's no way that comment is relevant to today's economic situation. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just thought it was a great, again, like just showing you a little bit more about how the Empire works and what matters and, and what doesn't. Yeah. And so kind of flowing off that, 
obviously a lot of this episode is about his journey with the Force. What what'd you got to get out of that? What'd you learn about? Uh, what do you think about what we're told about how the Force works for uh, Ezra? Yeah, I think this it makes a good bridge into the next episodes. At the beginning, he's trying to connect with this Lothcat and is just like, no thank you. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, they end up fleeing from the Empire to this planet to where they know the cre- the Finox are, who are like the afraid mm-hmm. of the dark cats, or afraid of the light cats, rather. Um, and Kanan's just like, hey, we're going to use that we're going to put put this lesson into a practical approach uh, of you're going to try and like mind control these cats to fight the empire. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, Sibo with his cybernetic brain reveals that the empire now has technology that can track ships through hyperspace, but they've put the tracker on uh, the phantom so they can right. just like distra- <clears throat> disconnect the phantom. Uh, and, and yeah, this, this, I I don't know. It seems quite dangerous, right? To just be like, Hey, I know you didn't do this even one time when we were practicing with a loth cat on your home planet, but (laughs) Hey, let's, let's go to those monsters who almost killed us. And, uh, you're going to do it there. This is, but this is very typical, like pro protagonist fodder, Mm. right? Like your training's not going well. So we're just going to (laughs) like up the ante and then you'll do it under pressure. Like, that happens all the time. Yeah. Which seems really bad. Yes. <clears throat> I, I need to make one comment because Paul Hoppy isn't with us and this is what he would think. But I, I definitely had the same feeling and maybe it's because Paul's gotten to me. But I do think <laughs> it's, it's correct. I didn't love that Kanan's plan was let's go force some animals that are just off living their own life to throw themselves at the enemy and probably die in order to save us. And, like, I, I get it's a desperate situation, but it's just one more, like... <clears throat> I, I kind of wish that, like, the Jedi, the Jedi respect for all life included things like these creatures who are ba- who literally we see them get killed because Kanan and uh, Ezra are mind-controlling them and forcing them to fight. Yeah, well, yeah. this never would have happened in <clears throat> Obi-Wan Kenobi's Jedi Order. Yeah. Oh, God, Respect, no. respect no. all animals. He would have been riding those, lo- those <laughs> not lot cats, the, the um, Finoc to victory, yep. yeah. Um, well, okay, yeah, so let's... Let's go back to the the question marks. Kanan mm. starts out by saying, but he's and not just saying, like the whole lesson is supposed to be that Ezra is too cut off. In order to be a Jedi, he has to allow himself to be open to people, and he has to allow himself to be attached to people. Is this Star Wars just kind of fudging things a bit, or do you think this is an intentional? Kanan, as we've talked about, he didn't grow up entirely with a Jedi. He's made it on his own. And he's kind of giving his own version of the Jedi teachings, even though they're somewhat different than the original. No, I, I disagree with that. I think I, I think you're too attached to the word attachment here. <laughs> uh-huh. And like you're you're saying because Jedi don't have attachments, right? Like relationships, like romantic relationships. Um, and and also like I guess they don't care as much about their padawans right there was one episode in the clone wars where it's like well if my padawan dies she dies and that was like well, like they're not supposed to anakin's supposed to let go of all of his feelings yeah. for his mother mm-hmm. like <clears throat> yeah you're not supposed to have strong emotional attachments to anyone 
but there is still an aspect of the force where you are supposed to you know reach out you know as luke mm-hmm. says to yeah. ray and connect with all beings through the force and i think that's that's what this is referencing in terms of attachment is that ezra because of his feelings is mm. cutting himself off from some aspect of the force I agree with both of you. Nope. Um, I, I think that it is that sort of be one with the force level of attachment, but also it's this Kanan spin on it where he's like, ah, you got to be attached to people. So it's like the canine flavor, canine flavoring, canine flavoring of Jedi teachings, right? Where maybe he didn't fully understand. Because, I mean, clearly he's got romantic attachments to Hera, so he's not abiding by this. <clears throat> yeah. Right. Well, I, so I think the romantic attachment part is a Jedi Order rule, mm-hmm. which you can follow or not, because that's whatever. But what Kanan is trying to teach Ezra is just the basics of the Force. Yeah, and sort of like right. being open to the Force. And then he puts him in this sink or swim situation, um, and Ezra ends up tapping into the dark side of the Force, oops. which, mm-hmm. yeah, oops. And also, like I think Kanan says something about, like, ah, yeah, as soon as you start tapping into the Force, hey, the dark side's there, BT dubs. Maybe I should have warned you about this earlier. Whoops. Yeah. I mean, we, we get to see that Kanan is figuring out how to be a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a lot of it going on. And I think one of the most interesting things about Star Wars is where the, so things happen and then fans go, oh, did th- is that mean this? And then there's a the question of, like, how much is it was that intentional and how much is it that they're like, oh, okay, sure, yeah, that's – that. That's what we meant all along. And part of, where I, part of what's underlining this for me is the High Republic books that I'm reading, which are really kind of giving the point that, like, there was a point in Jedi history when the feeling of attachment was kind of more like what you're saying, Riki, and that the Clone Wars era of, like, you cannot think about your mother anymore, you mm-hmm. cannot have... You're never supposed to have romantic attachments, but just the kind of, like... What would lead me to think that the phrase "you have to be have attachments" is ridiculous, isn't what the Jedi always were, you know? And so that I think they're they're to me what I take it as is that to some extent the writers are playing are are kind of you know squaring the circle a bit, and and yeah, trying to show that there's a little bit of a different situation. But I, I do think that there's some level of them saying like that, not that Kanan knows what happened to Anakin and why it didn't work, but that without all the Jedi influence, Kanan's had to learn something different and it's working because certainly we do know, I mean, romantic attachments, Kanan would have been thrown out of the Jedi order because of his feelings for Hera, but we're seeing that it doesn't affect him in a bad way, you know? And I, I, I think that there's some intentionality there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's like, it's really strange, especially you talk about this Clone War era of the Jedi order where, they become they've entered this almost like religious monk level right where the the chastity is part of it um but the clones themselves rely so much on this idea of brotherhood right like they're all very attached to each other and like the jedi are a-okay with that not that the clones are force users or anything like that right but it's really good for them for the clones to be super attached to each other and to the jedi as well right so it, it is it does seem like this message of contradictions, I guess. Mm-hmm. So what do you all think of the him flirting with the dark side somewhat and how that's handled? 
Um, we get the lovely, like, good, good, let the hate flow through you reference from the Inquisitor, mm-hmm. which is nice. Um, but yeah, I think it is interesting that this idea of the dark side always being there. And like you mentioned earlier, they've gone to this planet to mind control a bunch of animals to, like, do their bidding. Mm-hmm. Feels like they're pretty close to the dark side to begin with. Yeah, I, I think that's one of those things where by our ethics they are, but they're trying to say that in the ethics of this world they're not, which I think is – but, yeah, it, it's an interesting way to look at it for sure. Yeah. Ricky, I mean, what about you? Oh, sorry. I, go ahead. Well, I think the Inquisitor in this episode continues to give a master class in mm. dark side intimidation. And yes, the, very the much use so. use of fear, like making your opponent fear you to give in to the dark side and, and make them feel like the only way they can defeat you is, is by using anger and the dark side uh, and, and like everything about him, right? Like this lightsaber, the double bladed lightsaber that spins <laughs> is just like a real, a really terrifying opponent to face. And I think right. he, he's the character like in the cartoon is drawn well, voiced well, and is just a fantastic villain here. Yeah, and I think it's also this this nice little underscore of why this no attachments rule kind of came around in the first place. Because right? Ezra mm-hmm. taps into the dark side because Kanan's injured, and he's so angry that his mentor and friend has been hurt. Yeah, and the Inquisitor is playing off that. Mm-hmm. He's, he's taunting him and saying, I'm going to kill your master. What are you going to do yeah. about it? Yeah, I, I think that's such a good point. In part because one thing we see is that the Inquisitor can kick Jane when it really comes down to it, the Inquisitor can kick Kanan's ass pretty easily. Yes. And I, I it seems at some point like that Kanan defeats him just enough for them to get away. But my take at least is that the Inquisitor could have won any of those fights if he wanted to. That he's intentionally building this fear, building this tension, exactly as you said, because his goal isn't to kill them, his goal is to bring them to the dark side. Certainly at least Ezra. Yeah, and to not just get two of them, right? Like it seems like why why nab these two when you could in fear and intimidate and like kind of let them go and then get everybody in one fell swoop. Mm-hmm. So the last thing I was going to talk about was Ed, Ezra and Zebo. I think we've kind of covered that a lot though, but is there any other kind of comments you all wanted to make about that particular interaction? Well, I mean, it, it ends up that Ezra has to forgive Zebo in order to, to tap into the force to control mm-hmm. the the animals, the Phinox, sorry, uh, and he does, and, and also somehow Sibo like senses this on the ship, and it mm-hmm. like unblocks his own mental blocks, like with the cybernetic implants, and, and makes it so that he can more clearly focus on the information he was looking for, which turns out was the whereabouts of Ezra's parents. Right. And at the end, when he, Sibo uh, goes off with Fulcrum, who we still do not get to find out who they are. And Zeb and Sabine are very upset about yeah. this, yeah. Sibo <laughs> um, tells Hera about the whereabouts of Ezra's parents, and it ends on kind of a, a fade-out of her seeming to tell Ezra, but we don't really mm-hmm. find out the actual information. Well, she doesn't, doesn't she, she doesn't... 
I don't think she tells him. She she says, hey, Wesley, you're back. I've got some information about your parents. And then he, like, walks off oh. to his room, right? And Kanan's yeah. like, he needs a minute. He's been through some yeah. stuff. And then they, like, <laughs> never get back to it, which is, like, this might, very this might TV, be a thing. A very yeah. TV show moment. But I like what you said earlier about Chekhov's parents, right? It is very mm-hmm. nice to set this up. And the fact that we've got this long-form TV series, we can kind of let this string dangle for a bit and... It's it's nice that it you know it doesn't have to be resolved at the end of the episode. We can come back mm-hmm. to this later and kind of leave this as a little thread hanging out in the background. Absolutely, same thing with Fulcrum, mm-hmm. and they they address it by having Zev and Sabine be frustrated with not knowing, and that that's they're our proxy, they're the yeah. audience proxy on the on the crew. Mm-hmm. Like, we want to know. <laughs> So I think it's probably a pretty, pretty good point to wrap up our discussion of these episodes. Was there any other last comments you wanted to make before we move into uh, discussion of the news that came out? I and have, at the end, we'll do a spoiler section as well. I have two things. <clears throat> Go for it. First off, Agent Callus, because we didn't talk about it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, most, I think, only really appears in Empire Day, chasing the rebels as they try to escape in a stolen transport. Mm-hmm. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like in a transport behind him, and then he like tells the pilot like you know get up close to them. He climbs up on top of his transport and jumps over like that's <laughs> without the force. Yeah, like that's mm-hmm. some that's some hero stuff. Yeah, and we get a nice like face off again between him and Zeb. Yeah. Zeb's like this one's mine. And he gets knocked off by Kanan, but hangs on. Like he he's the villain. He's very villainous, but his capabilities are like on par with heroes in terms of what he's doing in the action sequences. Yeah, and I just I, I, I really enjoy that, especially because as you said, he's not using the force. Like yeah. I think it'd be very easy for him to look like the kind of idiot stepchild next to the Inquisitor, but he doesn't. He's just as intimidating in his own way. And I really like that it's like these two different sides are coming after our heroes. Yeah, he's he's very good at his job, right? Like, he is good at what he does. Yep. And then the second thing is that they uh, the Inquisitor attaches a tracker to the ship, which can track them through hyperspace, which is something that we are told in The Last Jedi is, like, something that shouldn't be possible, but is new technology that has apparently been developed, you know, 30 years later. <clears throat> so that's just, like, a bit of, you know, Star Wars mm-hmm. tech stuff that is inconsistent. I, I thought the difference was, because remember, even going back to the original movie, they put a tracker on the Millennium Falcon, and that's how they found Yavin 4. And and so the what I understood it was is that you can put a tracker on a ship... And then when it comes out of hyperspace, it will suddenly pop up and you'll know where it is. Whereas in this one, they developed something totally new, which was to be able to, while they are in hyperspace, track them. You mean in The Last Jedi? That's wild. In The Last Jedi, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's possible. But also, like, that brings up many more technological questions. But we'll, we'll table that. The force works in mysterious ways. Yeah, and, and this does work, like Matthew was saying, in in the first method, where once it's come out of hyperspace, they get a little ping. It's like, ah, oh, right. they're at this planet. So yeah, so there's a great episode, and the, what gets set up in these episodes are ones we're going to talk about a lot more. But today, I think, instead of actually doing a spoiler section, we're going to talk about some Star Wars news. We'll do kind of extra spoilers next time. 
Uh, but what we're talking about here is the the news that was announced, uh, and first it seemed like it might be a rumor, but then it's been confirmed by people in the show that Hayden Christensen is not only going to play Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader in the Kenobi show, he will also be showing up in the Ahsoka show. Uh, what's How do you all feel about that? Loved it. <laughs> yeah, I also... Bring it on. Feel good about it. Um, I, I First of all, I like that... Anakin slash Darth Vader in some form is going to be in Ahsoka. I think that's really interesting, and I'm really looking forward to see how that goes. Well, here's the thing. like When they announced the choice to cast Hayden Christensen in an Obi-Wan show, it was all talking about Darth Vader, that he was going to play right. Darth Vader. <clears throat> Here, it says that he is going to play Anakin Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Not Darth Vader. And I think that difference is very important for, for both right. those shows, but especially for Ahsoka. Because, you know, from the Clone Wars, Anakin was Ahsoka's master. Uh, she was his Padawan, and they had their adventures together and had quite, you know, quite the relationship between them. And not romantic, you know, master and apprentice, but closer than other master apprentice relationships because of. You know, Anakin's lack of training, lack of indoctrination, and his right. caring for other people. <clears throat> mm-hmm. He cared about Ahsoka, and Ahsoka learned that from him, and, and she cared about him. And and they just, they had probably one of the best relationships in all of Star Wars. So to be able to come back to that in this series is going to be fantastic. I, I'm really glad to hear that you're so excited about this, to be honest, because I'm not. And... <laughs> Granted, I didn't hear... For me, there's a couple of reasons. One is, I just don't believe that Hayden Christensen's a good actor. Um, particularly now that I know the voice actor who played uh, Anakin in uh, Clone Wars, who I just thought was miles better. And you're right. like Robert De Niro could not make the line, uh, I hate sand, sound <laughs> like good acting. But there's just so many times where Hayden Christensen's acting is so abysmally bad. Uh, and I felt like even Natalie Portman and, and Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor were able to do such a better job that he was that I just – and I'll give him a chance. And I'm, I will happily eat crow. But I have no desire to see that actor anywhere close to anything like this again. And I'm I'm very scared that he'll make it awful. But the other thing was – and, and this – because I, I didn't pay any attention to it because I was so mad about it, <laughs> honestly. I'm sorry. And it was, it's a dumb thing. Like, I'm not going to email him. Don't, like, he's per- perfectly nice person, I'm sure. It's not, don't get into that kind of fan entitlement nonsense. But I just I just wasn't happy about it. But I, I will say I was not happy even more with the idea that Vader might be popping up. Because certainly we know that Ahsoka's story is going to be told during the Mandalorian era. When we know that Anakin slash Vader is dead. So whatever is happening is going to have to be flashbacks of some kind. But I, th- we we don't know what Ahsoka was doing during the rebellion, and I, you know, there's a different part of Star Wars media that it, I don't want to get into spoilers, but gives a great resolution to Anakin and Ahsoka, and so I was like, I don't in the same way like I, I feel like the Obi Wan Anakin the Obi Wan Anakin Vader story has been told. I I am so against seeing another fight between Anakin and between Vader and Obi-Wan because I think it'll take so much away from the fight that happens on the Death Star in in the first New Hope movie, in in the first Star Wars movie, A New Hope. Knowing that it's Anakin and the idea that, like, 
there's things that are going to be happening in this that are going to bring flashbacks to when Ahsoka was with Anakin. That that you can interest me in, although it does, like, she's a child for the entire time and she knows Anakin. So no, I, 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 I think re- you're thinking about re- this all wrong. Yeah. Let's okay. Explain. Um, okay. So yeah. Well, let, let me finish. The, the last thing I was going to say about trial is I, I can't see Rosaria Dawson playing a 15 year old uh, Ahsoka. Yes, was my only point. But yeah, go ahead. I also can't. I was a little bit like, how? What? How are they going to do that? If he's going to be Anakin, won't it have to be a flashback? Unless he's some sort of ghost, like a Force ghost. Given given her little no, chit chat. No, 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 no. <laughs> that makes it worse. I think it's so much worse. They have like... So Matthew, you have spent time in the past saying you want a scene where Luke tells Ahsoka that Anakin turned back to the light side at the end and was like redeemed. What if Anakin tells Ahsoka that he turned back to the light side and was redeemed? And what if like she doesn't believe him at first and is like, go away? And like this... This is the central relationship of this TV show. Is then I won't her, watch it. <laughs> her arguing with this ghost and, and trying to come to terms with her old mentor. Like, no, this is fantastic. Because in, in The Mandalorian, when she shows up, she just seems to be like a, a rogue, you know, agent out yeah. Yeah, wandering the, the galaxy, like fighting people and looking for, for somebody. I, I think that's a part of it, though. To me... So much of what I got out of her performance in Mandalorian was how jaded she was, how cynical she was, in part because, you know, I think she actually talks about like her feelings about the Jedi are so informed by like the mentor she had who betrayed her. And to me, if she's talking to Anakin now, you lose that entire part of her character. Like, and also she's literally carrying around his ghost and she doesn't want to. At first, I I will go into it with an open mind. I hate the idea as you describe it, and if if that's the idea and other people love it and I just hate it, I'll be like, great. I hope you enjoy the show. Um, I might pay you guys to do your own episodes of Ahsoka for this podcast, <laughs> and I just won't be on it. Um, but I, I have to say, of all the of all the visions I had about what this could be like, what you just said is far worse. <laughs> oh, I think it sounds. I don't know. I think it sounds super interesting because like. I get what you're saying about jaded Ahsoka, but, like, Ahsoka doesn't need to stay jaded the whole time. She can have her, like, nice resolution, right? Like, she doesn't just need to be in pain the whole time to be Mm -hmm. interesting, I guess. And also, like, I'm looking forward to seeing what Hayden Christensen brings to the table, because I, I do think he got done dirty by the script. And like you were saying, I mean, Ewan McGregor and Liam Neeson and Natalie Portman still managed to get a good performance off out of that. But like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, sure. But also like, how I don't know. I haven't seen Hayden Christensen in anything else. And I'm I'm interested to see if it was just a bad script and if he can like redeem himself kind Here's of. Here's the thing. Yeah. This man is a professional. Yeah. And again, like, as you said, I haven't seen him in much after that. So I don't know what he's been doing. But he is a professional at this. Like, this is his job. I believe he will do a good job. And look at other examples from Star Wars. Mark Hamill, 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, God bless him. At the time of the original trilogy, <clears throat> I don't think he was that strong of an actor. I, I don't think his portrayal of Luke, like from an acting standpoint, mm-hmm. was that mm-hmm. great. And he kind of got typecast and was uh, for a while just like not doing much. And then he got into voice acting, and he is now one of the greatest voice actors of our of our lifetimes. So I think the different. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. So, so to me, like, I I don't know what Hayden's been doing. Like, give him a chance. Just like with the casting of like any Batman, I'm like, I I'm not the casting director. Like, I don't know what these people's auditions were like. Give them a chance. Like before, you're like, yeah. I'm never gonna watch this guy's Batman. Here's the thing. Like I said, I will watch it. I'm going to be pissed about it, but I will watch it. I'm going to <laughs> an open mind. I think there's two things that I would I would say back though. One is, I I think there's a reason we haven't seen him do anything, because for the last 20 years, no casting directors have thought, you know what, Hayden Christensen really nailed that audition. I don't know if I'd call him a professional actor if he hasn't been acting for 20 years. And maybe we're kind of like, uh, you know, uh, splitting hairs there. I know he's done a couple things, but like to me, I also trust that like Natalie Portman kept getting jobs. Ewan McGregor kept getting jobs, you know, but someone looked at at Hayden Christensen or a bunch of them and said, this is not a guy we want to hire again. Uh, so, good. I'm just going to again point to the example of Mark Hamill. Like I challenge you to go look at Mark Hamill's IMDb. Because I, the only thing I remember of him post-Star Wars mm-hmm. before he started showing up in cartoons was a, like, bad Hallmark-type TV movie called Earth Angel. It was terrible. Yeah. So, well, And that actually is my second point, is I feel like if Hayden Christensen was coming back to play someone in the MCU and as a character I had no connection to, I'd be fine. Like, okay, he's a cool actor. Let's see what he can do with it. It's that he's stepping into the, the, the shoes of one of the most iconic acting performances, at least it, as I understand it, of all the last 50 years of cinema, uh, that, that again, that it, to me, that's where it also is. It's like, I'm happy giving Hayden Christensen another chance to do some random role in some new movie. It, it's the idea of him as Darth Vader, uh, him as Anakin Skywalker, when I just thought he did it so badly. That That's where I'm struggling. Does that make sense? Because to me, I, I definitely hear the point you're saying. I don't think Hamill was a great actor in those first three movies. I think he's fantastic in Last Jedi. But it's it. I didn't know Luke Skywalker before then. There was nothing – there wasn't a, a very high bar. And, and you can say that's very – to some extent, it's incredibly unfair to Hayden Christensen that, that in playing Anakin, there was this incredibly high bar he had to reach. But that's why I think I'm, I'm much more concerned about this. It, it, does that make sense? Sure, but I I will also disagree that he did not meet the bar. I think there were like the the scripts and the dialogue were terrible, but the duel on Mustafar and the emotions that he displays in that whole sequence, like starting with the you know the dialogue is still really? kind of campy, but like the the whole duel with Obi Wan, like I love that, like that's probably the only thing about that movie that i really like and it's because of his performance that's fascinating you say that so like i've had so many conversations with people about how it shows what a good actor ewan mcgregor is that he's able to do such a good performance against such a bad performance i to me that scene is one of the quintessential hayden is not a good actor um so but yeah we can take different things away from it and to me that's it'll be you know 
I'm not going to start a Twitter campaign to, to change this. We can't do that. It's what's going to happen. And you're right. They they spend a lot more time making Star Wars than I do. So Filoni's, Filoni knows best. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. Um, and yeah, I guess I'm just like hoping that it's like a good redemption for him and going and hopeful mm-hmm. because like you said, like us complaining about it isn't going to change it. So yeah. all we can do is hope for the best, redemptions, etc. Star Wars. I, I will happily eat all the crow in the world if it winds up being a great thing. And I'm hoping it's a great thing. Like I, I and it, it makes me happy to hear that other people are excited about it. Like I, I think I've, I've said before that the last couple of years, I've paid a lot more attention to younger voices, uh, people who grew up with the Clone Wars movie, uh, with the Clone Wars era movies, the prequels, hearing why they loved them helped give me a much better understanding of them. And I, and I, like, I, I, I'm still kind of baffled that anyone thinks Hayden is a good actor, but like, I believe that you do. And I'm, I, I feel like that's going to make me like rethink it. Like, okay, maybe, maybe I did give him a fair chance. Maybe there is something here. So, and, and even if I don't see it in the new movies, I'll be thrilled if other people do, or the new TV shows. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't think that his performance in Revenge of the Sith was like in any way award worthy, right? Like Oscar worthy, mm-hmm. but like look at what he was portraying. Kind of a petulant child who has, or teenager who has been denied things in his life that he wants, and then the the love of his life now is turning his back on him, and he just he just loses it and he's like spitting practically right like spitting his anger and he sells that like like for me like there are other performances that i think of um like avery brooks in star trek deep space nine is Mm -hmm. is an over actor like he yells a lot he (laughs) spits a lot and sometimes it's kind of ridiculous but that's that's what he gives to that performance and I like it, and I like the way that Hayden portrayed that anger in that scene. And I think if, like, Clone Wars, the animated series, would have come out before the movies, we might have gotten a different performance. And I think, like, that Mm -hmm. disconnect is really where I'm like, I I don't like these movies, I don't like this portrayal of Anakin. But, like, I don't know, I I guess I just try to keep in mind that the Clone Wars TV show came out after these movies. That's right. That's interesting. Yeah, because yeah. the Anakin in the Clone Wars show is acts much more adult mm-hmm. than right. the Anakin in the movies. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that's um it, it's funny when you were saying about how it's very hard to portray like this teenage kid who, you know, all the things he thought he was going to get, he's not getting. Uh, and I was like, well, Dante Bosco did a much better job with it as Zuko and Avatar, but but I get you right. It, it's an acting challenge in a lot of ways, and and he was a very young actor. There's a lot of things he struggled with, so we'll just see what happens. Uh, and and as always, fans, I want to hear from you. Uh, I'm sure some fans have kind of my feeling like it. I'm guessing a lot of you are probably more where um, uh, Ricky and Sarah are, and probably a lot of you are like, who cares? We're going to get more, <laughs> you know, Star Wars. It doesn't matter. Yeah, um, right so- in. Hayden stands. Yeah. Support me. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, uh, I think it's probably a good place to wrap up. So, uh, Ricky and Sarah, as always, uh, well, I, so I think that's a good place to wrap up. And uh, Ricky and Sarah, as always, want to let you 
kind of take a moment to uh, talk about stuff you're doing. Uh, Sarah, in particular, I'm going to say, though, I keep reading these stories about how all the things I might want to buy for Christmas for people <laughs> are not going to be available. So let's say I wanted to buy some artistic something or other. Uh, any ideas, Sarah, what I could look for? Well, I don't know. Maybe you could go to my Etsy store. Um, I think is what you're hinting at. Yeah, I, uh, I, my Etsy store is up and running again. Hooray. Uh, it's Hayashi Ceramics. So if you just go to Etsy slash shop slash Hayashi Ceramics, wow. Um, maybe we can put a link in the show notes to it. Um, I'm just sort of finished up uh, kind of like spooky Halloween decorations. Um, I've got some kind of like general autumnal harvest theme stuff in the pipelines. And then, yeah, various like mugs, plates, Christmas ornaments, general winter theme ornaments uh, coming along. And they'll be like packaged with love and care and sent your way. Um, yeah. And no need to worry about supply lines supply chain, supply chain. <laughs> so, yeah awesome and uh riki where can people uh find your musings on pokemon and jogging and all sorts of good things well you can find me on twitter at Wikipedia go and i actually did have a short thread this week about hayden christensen's <laughs> casting uh, much of which i repeated here but uh, i will continue to talk about that and some other star wars stuff as well I, I was on my honeymoon this week, or sort of an abbreviated COVID version of my honeymoon, and I did not check Twitter, and I'm very glad, yeah, because I smart. would have been <laughs> tweeting quite a lot back at you. So, <laughs> All right, well, and as always, fans, we want to hear from you. I mean, we, the three of us could just, like, get on Zoom and talk to each other. The fun part about doing this is getting your feedback, and we've been loving it so far. I've heard from a number of people who really love Rebels and are so glad we're covering it. Couple people have takes on it different than ours. That uh, one, one I'm hoping we'll be able to read some comments for our next episode. Let us know. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook by searching for the Ethical Panda. You can also go to theethicalpanda.com, or you can just go just email us at theethicalpanda at gmail.com. Any of those will go to me. I'll be able to find your feedback. If you want, it can just be something that that you know I respond to, or that Ricky and Sarah respond to, or we can read it on the air and talk about it. We'd love either way. Of course, there you'll also find my other podcast, The Superhero Ethics. You'll also find the Marvel Movie Minute Thor project that I've been a part of. And all those things are also part of, well, except the Marvel Movie Minute, they're all part of the Stranded Panda Network of podcasts where you can find great content on so many other things. So please check all that out. Check out uh, Sarah's store and Ricky's tweet, uh, <laughs> Ricky's tweet uh, Twitter account and, and all these great things. And more than anything, please have a great day. Hayden Kristen stands. That's what I should have said. <laughs> oh my God.